Good evening. How's everybody? Welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. I know we took a break from chapel last night because of the weather, but thank you for joining us this evening. You guys doing okay? Yeah, great, great, great. Class is doing good. Uh, well, we're privileged this evening to have a uh, guest uh, speaker with us this evening, Pastor uh, Sean Siegfried from Denver First Church. Can we please welcome him? Thank you, Sean, Pastor Sean. We're taking time out to be with us tonight. He's going to help us hear from the Lord this evening. Amen. Uh, well, we're going to worship in song. You're, f you're free to stand, to sit where you're at. But we're going to sing some songs of uh, our beautiful God. Let us worship. <clears throat> I don't think I've sat before, so this can be something new. Amen? Praise his name. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Jonathan, and thank you, uh, for being here tonight. Uh, my name is Sean Siegfried, and I'm the lead pastor at Denver First Church of the Nazarene. And so uh, certainly uh, thank you for being uh, uh, part of what I'm doing on Wednesday night. I, uh, I do usually have a, a Bible study that I do on Wednesday night. They're back at church, but I told them tonight I was going to be with you folks. And so I'm glad you're here. I know so many of you are preparing for ministry, and uh, though it's been a long time since I sat where you sat, I certainly understand the, uh, the challenge and also just the, the, the sheer delight of preparing to do God's work. And I know so many of you are already started on that. And I want to be an encouragement to you tonight. And I know the Word of God, uh, I hope, uh, encourages us. And I know you've been having a theme uh, all week or all year, Second uh, Timothy 1.7. That's your theme, right, Jonathan? That's your theme. And so uh, we're, we're excited to do that. I, in a couple of weeks, uh, our, our men's group is going to be up in the mountains, up there, um, way up there. I forget the name of the, of the um, camp we're going to, a men's retreat. And this is kind of our theme, same scripture for the men's retreat that we're going to be at here in a couple of weeks. And so uh, this, this gives us a good start uh, on, on that. Uh, so 2 Timothy 1.7 I know that you all uh, know this scripture, uh, but of course it's a, it's a good scripture and a good theme uh, for us tonight. 2 Timothy 1.7. I've never done the clicker thing by myself. Usually somebody else does a clicker thing for me, so if I mess up on that, you guys will forgive me, right? 2 Timothy 1.7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self discipline. Y years ago, I pastored out in the uh, southwest area of uh, the nation there in that uh, Arizona, California corridor, the Blythe uh, Yuma area. I believe, they're, I believe God's out there uh, sometimes, but it's a tough area. And, uh, and, and I went back to Iowa to pastor there in the Omaha area, Council Bluffs, Iowa, Omaha area, and we took a trip back. Uh, to that area to see our friends at our church there in Blythe. And um, uh, I borrowed my father-in-law's uh, 1977. Uh, well, there's my daughter. That picture came up too quickly. Uh, this is a story. 
I'm running this, so this is why it's messing up. Um, took my daughter, Shauna, her little sister, Shaylee, in a 1977 Caprice, Chevy Caprice, which was my, from my father-in-law. And we traveled over Highway 8, down Highway 8, over to Blythe, spent a day with our friends, uh, and then traveled back uh, to San Diego through Highway 8. And, and we got to about the Yuma area, and we were then ready to go up the mountain there. It's about a 4,000-foot grade. Now, you all understand, it's warm there most of the time, and it was summertime. It was 115 degrees. Uh, and my father-in-law's 77 Chevy Caprice uh, at that time, probably about 15 years old of, of a car at that point, I knew it was struggling. I knew that this car was going to have problem getting over the grade. And uh, I'm not a mechanic at, at all. I, I mean, I, I'm not technical at all either. Uh, but, but, but I know something is wrong when you're driving your vehicle. The air conditioner's not working anymore. It's blowing hot air. Uh, my little girls are in the back. We basically undressed them uh, down to, the, you know, just barely what they need on in a car driving through the desert. And green antifreeze or whatever was exploded all over our car, all over the, the front windshield. I shut the car down. I knew that we were in trouble. Uh, highway 8 is an incredibly dangerous highway. I pull over to the side, and, and, and we're in trouble. And, uh, you know, it was back before cell phones, really. Cell phones didn't even work. Uh, in that area anyway, so we're looking for help. And all these cars were coming by us at breakneck speed. And my little daughter, Shauna, about that age, she's now 22 and married. That tells you how old I am. But Shauna is just concerned. She's saying, Daddy, please pray for us. Daddy, I am scared, Daddy. Please pray, Daddy. And I said, Shauna, we're going to be fine. I'll get us some help. Mama's going to help you here. Sit on the side of the road. And we got him back away from the highway, little Shaylee and Shauna. But Shauna, especially, she kept saying, Daddy, please pray, Daddy. I'm so scared, Daddy. Daddy, what are we going to do, Daddy? And I said, Shauna, it's going to be okay. But I really didn't want cars to stop to help us. So I was waiting for a high patrolman, which eventually one came along. Uh, you know, they're never there when you need them, you know, as we say. Uh, but, but, uh, but these cars kept slowing down, and I said, I, I don't want your help. I, I want to wait for the, the police officer to help us. And, and so uh, uh, we were going along, and the cars kept slowing down. And, they kept, and I was wondering what was happening, why they were slowing down. And I didn't know it until I looked back after about 10 minutes of this, that every time I would look away and kind of look towards the traffic and kind of see, what's, see if there's a high patrolman coming through the road, my little daughter, Shauna, only about six or seven, would stick her finger out like she was hitchhiking. And that's why they were all slowing down. So finally I said, Shauna, uh, don't do that. We don't need, we don't need their help. The, the high patrolman is on the way. You know, the, the best laid plans of mice and men. You know, we will make our plans. You are planning for ministry. Uh, life is, is difficult sometimes. And, and certainly here Paul speaking to young Timothy. Uh, a young man in preparation for ministry, just like you are. Um, you you want to lay your plans out, but you, you don't ever know what's going to happen in life. And, uh, and life comes quickly, and we can't avoid the unknown. But Paul was a man of action. And Paul was the kind of guy, giving young Timothy some advice that, of course, I'm going to try to help you with tonight, help myself as well. As we face the future, I want to get what God gives. I, I, I want us to receive what God has for us. And in the scripture, Paul is very clear about what God has for us. What God gives us is the title. Verse 7 says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Um, 
I don't know if Mr. Attic knows my father-in-law, Roy, or uh, Mr. Church over here. I don't know. My father-in-law, Roy, right there, and Helen, uh, they are pastors, used to be pastors for a long time. Now they're retired. But my father-in-law is not shy. He is not timid in any way. Matter of fact, he witnesses all the time. Uh, and and uh, I mean anyone. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were shopping together, and there he saw, I saw him sitting by a man in a, uh, a, a Ross's or wherever we were shopping at, a Marshall's there, there in Denver we were at, where we live, and I was with my wife, and we were shopping, and my mother-in-law, uh, but Roy, he's not a shopper, but he is a witnesser. I, I believe my father-in-law is the most bold man in the faith I've ever met, and I knew this man that he had sat down beside, another man who didn't like shopping, both sitting down together, about the same age, uh, I was actually going to go over and rescue this guy because my father-in-law was just talking to him like crazy. Uh, but then I got close enough, I could tell my father-in-law was talking about God. I, I could tell my father-in-law was telling him the plan of salvation. And as I walked by, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to walk on by because I believe my father-in-law is ready to lead that man uh, to the Lord as he, was, as he was being bold for him. And Paul says, you know, God doesn't give us a spirit of timidity. When it comes to faith, when it comes to faith, we should not back away. And you're not doing that tonight. You're being bold. You're out here in, in, uh, in, in Colorado. I'm sure some of you are from different parts of the country. I'm sure some of you, uh, in a lot of ways, I'm sorry there, i I, I got to do this better. Uh, when it comes to our faith, we should not back away. Um, I know that, 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 that you are being bold. Uh, and I believe that we need people to prepare people to be bold. Uh, living out our faith as men and women of God. And then equipping our congregations to be bold in our witness. To be bold in our lifestyle. And I'm not sure what that means today. Uh, I know that we live in, in a culture today that we have to be appropriate. Uh, we have to do certain things, and, and may I even carefully use the word be politically appropriate. We live uh, in, in such a diverse culture today, but it doesn't mean that we as pastors and ministers and leaders of the church don't teach and reach and equip our people to be bold and live out their faith. To not be timid when it comes to who the person of Jesus Christ is. To, to not back away from, from certain discussions where we can lovingly say, no, he is Lord. Uh, and, 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 I, and I believe that God, the Holy Spirit, God uh, the Father, God the Son, would give us that boldness in Christ. And, and, and Paul saying to Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of timidity, uh, Timothy. And, and then he says, God gives us a spirit of power. John Wesley says, give me a hundred men who for nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven here on earth. The power that God gives us. There is a power that he gives. And of course, we all know that to be uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I know that some of you come from a Nazarene background or a Wesleyan background or a holiness background. Uh, some of us don't. I didn't grow up going to any church. I did not grow up going to any church. Uh, I was unchurched until about the age of 16 or 17 and began to go to Nazarene church. And I began to hear him talk about this thing called sanctification, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. And I tell you, for a young man, 18, 19 years of age, I just thought there's no way I can live under that kind of dominion. In my life. There's no way I can live under that kind of control in my life. Just like you, 
Somewhere along the way, over the next several uh, couple years, I became actually a, a sheriff's deputy after I graduated from Mid-America Nazarene University. And um, God spoke to my heart about being a pastor. Uh, after about four years after I was saved, and I didn't know what that meant at all. I had an example of my father-in-law. It's the only person in my whole family that I had any example of what it meant to be in ministry. And so I headed that direction, but I knew I lacked the Holy Spirit's power. You know how I knew that? Because I knew deep in my heart I had secret sin. I, I had the kind of life, even though I got married, and the kind of lifestyle that I knew that there was something in control of me uh, that, 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 that wasn't good. And, and, and I know that God was calling me to some kind of ministry, but I did not, get, I did not have the power he, that he gives. And I, I can tell you, in January of 1989, as I surrendered my heart to the Lord, to the preaching ministry, and I said, God, but you know there are some things in my life, some things in my heart, some things in my mind, some things in my, in my marriage that, that, that aren't surrendered to you. Oh, oh, God, I give you those things. I can tell you, uh, I can tell you tonight, my friends, that when the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, those things, those sins that so easily entangled me back there in 1989, they were literally crushed under the dominion of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's the power that we're missing in our churches. I believe in the Holy Spirit's power. We need His power. And um, I'm at a great church there in Denver. Great church. A large church a church with a 107-year history. Uh, but I am convinced that at Denver First Church, and I'm convinced at Colorado Springs First Church, and I'm convinced that in all churches, a lot of times, through our programs, through our gifting, through our music, that was great music tonight, by the way, through all those things, we lean on those things too much, and we don't lean on the Lord's power, the power of the whole. If you ask me what has been missing in our churches, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, today society is searching for solutions. Society is, is saying, what are we going to do? I remember a, a little while back we had those terrible shootings there in, uh, there in the Northeast. And, and there was a TV program talking about searching for solutions because of uh, the shootings. And they were terrible. And they were terrible. And, and, and I want you to know I'm very careful about any kind of political discussions. I have a church where there's a whole bunch of people and there's all kinds of different political backgrounds and different ideas and, and we don't even talk about Democrats and Republicans because we all get in a fight, you know, and I don't like that kind of stuff in church anyway. But I do want to say something. Uh, we're wondering why our society has gone downhill. We wonder why uh, we're having these situations in schools and stuff. And I truly, I truly believe, I truly believe that God has been dismissed from the public discourse. I truly believe that, that we have asked God not to be involved in, in some of these situations. And I'm not talking for having church and school. I'm not talking for that. Uh, go to private school if you want that. But I am saying there is a backlash today against these situations in our schools, in our, in our government agencies, and we, under, we, we wonder why these things are happening. It, evil will always flourish when God's power is absent. Always. And we try to do things on our own. Uh, even worse, we begin to tap into some other kind of power. Our own charisma, our own ability to do things. I, I just, this week, uh, a young man who we've been working with, uh, a young man who claims to be a Jesus follower, 
uh, a young man and a, and a young lady, they have a baby together, and I've worked with this young guy, and I got a report this week that he's left her, and he's been abusive to her, and, and even though he claims Christ, and was, I know where he sits many times on Sunday morning, we have a huge sanctuary, but I can sometimes know where he sits, and, 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 uh, uh, but somebody told me he's on drugs now, in just a few weeks, and, and I've talked to this guy, and I've sensed deep in my spirit, this guy needs the Holy Spirit, and, 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 he's, and he's allowed evil to flourish in his life because he has not, he's not relied on God's power. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, having a form of godliness, but yet denying its power. Um, I can talk to you for two hours today how our churches, we're full of all kinds of gifts and graces and abilities, all kinds of, all kinds of fancy teaching and, and preaching and, and music and, and all, we have all the bells and whistles at Denver First Church, but you know what? We can have all the form of God in this and we don't have God's power. We're not having church. We're not doing what God, we need the Holy Spirit's power. And whatever that means to you, it's a, it's a biblical thing. You can study it. But when I look at the, what the Holy Spirit does and we surrender our lives fully to God and he gives us the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can call it whatever you want it. You know, the Pentecostals want to call it one thing, the Nazarenes. But I just say when you, when you have God's power, then you're going to have the presence of Jesus in your ministry and you're going to see real things happen, real life change. And that power has to control us first. We have to be under the dominion of the Holy Spirit. And then it says self-discipline, of self-discipline. I, I love this scripture because Paul really takes it to the next level. Maybe you've heard this story. A man was um, driving down the street, being tailgated um, by a lady driving behind him. Um, and, and, and this guy was honest, though, and he didn't want to run the red light. He knew she was right behind him. Uh, the light turned yellow just in front of him, and he stopped right at the crosswalk. He could have beat the red light, but you know, it, had been, it, would, it would probably might have been a crime. Uh, and then the woman behind him just hits the roof. She starts honking her horn, screaming and in frustration. She missed her chance to get through the intersection with him. And, and as she instills just yelling in mid-rant, she hears a, a, a tap on the window and looks up into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer orders her to exit her car with hands up. He takes her to the police station where she is searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a cell. And after a couple hours, a policeman approaches the cell and opens the door. She's escorted back to the booking desk where the arresting officer is waiting for her for, with her personal effects. He says, oh, ma'am, I'm very sorry for the mistake. You see, I, I pulled up behind your car while you were uh, blowing your horn, flipping the guy off in front of you, cussing a blue streak, and I noticed the Choose Life license plate sticker, What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker, the Follow Me to Sunday School bumper sticker, and the chrome-plated Christian Fish emblem on the truck, and, and naturally, I assumed you'd stolen that car. <laughs> Power of self-discipline. Um, I believe the day we send mixed messages in the church. Uh, I believe the day we jump to judge people, uh, we judge the world, and yet even in our own life, we do not have the, the self-discipline. Uh, let me just say something off the cuff today. You guys are preparing for ministry. Some of you are already in ministry. Some of you are leading churches or, or church groups or whatever. If, if you do not have self-discipline, you will not have credibility with those people. If you don't, and I'm not talking perfection. Everybody at my church, they know I'm not perfect. 
they know I'm still a human being. Uh, but, but if you don't have a certain style of self-discipline in your life, you can't lead people. Uh, you have to come under the control of uh, the power of self-discipline. Uh, we as followers of Jesus need to witness by the way we live. That's, the whole, that's part of holiness. Uh, that's part of being surrendered. And so I would challenge you tonight. Very, you're not my congregation, and you, I don't have any validity with you. I'm just a guy that's coming to preach on a, on a Thursday. Wednesday night. Wednesday night it is, isn't it? Um, usually I'm in church on Wednesday night. Um, but I encourage you to make sure you have self-discipline. If you're going to be in a pastor, if you're going to be a church leader, if you're going to be an educator, there has to be a certain lifestyle. I'm not talking churchy stuff. Matter of fact, I don't think churchy stuff reaches people. I think honesty and transparency. But when they look at your life, they've got to see the real deal. They've got to see that you are the real thing. That, that you back up what you preach or teach or lead in a way that says, I do believe in the stuff that I'm teaching, preaching. Uh, leading. I do believe in those things. And so we witness by the way uh, we live. You know, uh, in our church, we have uh, all kinds of subgroups. And we have senior adults. And we have middle adults like me. I'm, I'm 48. And then we have the younger set in the 20s and 30s. We have a very, actually for an old church, we have a, a really lively and large group of young folks, young professionals, uh, uh, young people, 20s and 30s. And I was asking uh, one of the leaders of that group, uh, uh, Don Deal, uh, our executive pastor, what are they saying about Christianity? What are they saying about my preaching? Uh, what are they saying, you know, because it's new culture. And uh, let me just see, anybody here 30 or below? I'm sure there are some. 30 or below, raise your hand. So yeah, there's some of you there. You know, my daughter's 22, 23. So um, what do they think about the gospel? What do they think about the church? And, and, and we've done some investigation. And what they tell us, don't soft pedal the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell us like it is, you know. This, this stuff of secret sensitivity that, that we love Hybels and, and Rick Warren and all those guys years ago, the secret sensitive thing, even those guys have come out and said, I'm not sure we did it the right way. People want to know the truth, right? And when you tell them the truth and you set a standard of preaching or reaching or teaching or whatever, you have to also live that standard. And if you set a standard that you're not yet living, they're going to see it. They're going to see you have no self-discipline. Discipline. When we claim Christ and yet have no self-control, we make a mockery out of his influence in our life. And, and, and certainly, self-discipline is so important. And then finally, the, the, the spirit of love. Living out his love. And, and, and as Paul says, you know, um, God gives us a spirit of power, love, and of self-discipline. And I wanted to end with love uh, tonight because I find that to be the, the overwhelming power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when, there's a lot of manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The most powerful manifestation is the power of love and forgiveness. I've got three wonderful children. Shauna's 22. She's married to Dalton Deal. Um, my, my daughter, Shaylee, is 16. Just started driving. Don't, don't come to Denver. Uh, um, and then my son is 13. And um, he's my, my only son, of course. And I won't tell you which one of them, but about a year or two ago, one of them really messed up bad. They got in trouble. And what they did was kind of bad, you know. What they did was, was, was wrong. And they admitted it. And um, I know some of you have kids, so you can relate. If you don't, you can relate as a child. But... I think one of the most powerful moments I ever had in my whole life was going into that child's bedroom. And they know me as dad. 
you know. They know I'm not perfect. But they also know me as preacher dad. I've been pastoring churches for 23 years, and, and they've heard me preach. And, and so there's a little bit of, if you're going to the ministry, you've got to know that for your kids. For, by the way, protect your kids. And I'll say this to a bunch of ministry students. Don't let the church mess with them. My churches know that, you know, my kids are off limits. Uh, and so um, I've got to practice self-discipline in that too, don't I? But my daughter uh, and my son know that. My daughters and my son know that. But the one who was in trouble had done something pretty bad. And, and, and they were embarrassed to see me. Mom had already talked to him, but they knew that I was coming in the room. They knew that um, what they had done was pretty significant, the most significant thing they'd ever done in their life. I tell you, when I walked into that child's room and they saw me and the tears began to come down their eyes because they knew there was some shame there, I, I have preached to a lot of people. I, I have had some opportunities I'm really thankful for, but I never felt so much like Jesus in all my life to take that child into my arms and to say, I forgive you. You know, we're not going to talk about this from now on. You're repentant. You're sorry. I forgive you completely, and you know Jesus does. And that was just, I tell you, of all the things I've ever done in all my life, that moment to say to that child, you know what? I love you. There's no limit to my love. There's nothing I wouldn't forgive you of. And I find that the manifestation of living out his love, that power is overwhelming when we understand it. You know, a few weeks ago at Denver First Church, we had communion on Good Friday. And several hundred people were there on Good Friday, and we had some great things. But the most powerful part was the communion time on Good Friday, and we, we understand the symbolism and all that Jesus did, but his sacrifice on the cross was the biggest expression of love ever. I know that you understand that. And, and when you have the opportunity, maybe some of you already do, have the opportunity to be that, that priest, if you will, that pastor, that shepherd, that, that breaks the elements before your congregation, and you begin to understand that this all happened because, because of this one named Jesus who broke, um, simply broke his own life for our sake. And for our sins, he died. And we understand that's love. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And then uh, 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You remember, we all like Peter because he's just like you and me. Uh, we all remember Peter in, um, in, in that conversation that, that Jesus said, you'll be scattered tonight. And, and, and Peter says, you know, all these other guys may scatter. I'm not going to scatter. I will, I, I will be with you the whole way. And Jesus says, Peter, you'll deny me before the night's over. Peter's also the one who, of course, is so gregarious. He cuts off the, the ear of the guy. You know, one of those guys, Malchus, I guess his name was. He just messes up. You know, one of the saddest scriptures is that it says Jesus, or Peter went out and wept bitterly. And you see that picture of Peter. We go to John 21. And, and Jesus is now on the seashore. And, and, and of course, what does Peter do? He jumps off on the boat and swimming to, to Jesus. And it's kind of, honestly, and I know there, you know, some of you 
Dr. Church, Dr. Attic, you're smarter than I am, but it's kind of a weird situation there in that Gospel of John and how things are happening and, and of course, John's writing. But, but, but there's a conversation that Jesus has with Peter. And he asks him a couple of times, basically, do you love me, Peter? And Peter gets hurt. But then he says, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep, Peter. And I really believe, after thinking about this for most of my Christian life, is that Jesus was explaining to Peter, this gregarious guy, that you're going to be the leader. You're the automatic leader. We know that. But you're going to have to lead with love. You're going to have to lead this early church with love. And, and of course, then older Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. He knew the forgiveness of the Lord. And, and let me just encourage you that, that love is the most powerful expression of the spiritual life. I truly believe that. There's some other things that we can certainly describe and understand. And, but, but love is that powerful expression of the spirit-filled life. And you've got to have it to be a pastor. You've got to have the real thing in you. There will be challenges like crazy. Let me tell you, I think one of my funnest stories ever um, of absolute radical forgiveness and love. My last ministry was in Visaya, California, in a really, if I can say this, cool church um, there in the Central Valley, uh, California. We had four services, Saturday and three on Sunday, and, and lots of great people that I still miss and love my church in Denver, but there was a dynamic in that church. I mean, folks just came in a sense of just trying to get their life together, and it was a real grace-giving church. And um, we were having baptismal services, um, big baptismal service that day, and uh, we were baptizing children at first. And uh, one of my pastors there, one of my associate pastors, was named Dave Spaten. He's a great man of God. He's about 60. He's about 10 years older than I am now. And, and that was, this is about maybe seven, eight years later. But he stand, our baptism was in the gym, and we overflowed into the gym from the sanctuary, and we actually had it on video so people in the sanctuary could see it. And we were baptizing all these kids, and I was in the water. And I noticed Pastor Dave was at the back of the gymnasium, there's probably maybe 100 people in the gymnasium at the time watching their kids and uh, friends get baptized, but Pastor Dave was just celebrating. I'm jumping up and down, and, and Dave is just like that. He's the happy pastor, you know, and he's just going crazy. And I noticed him. I'm like, Dave's even more unusually happy today. Um, and I baptized a couple young boys, maybe 8, 9, or 10, back to back, and baptized them. And afterwards, I said, basically, you know, I'm... Dave, what was going on with you back there? Why were you so excited? And he said, and I knew it was significant, because he said, Sean, you didn't realize who you were baptizing. And he began to tell me this story about a young man named Orlando Hernandez. Orlando came on the church bus a couple of decades before this. They picked him up for school. And, and, but in, in, in that Visaya area, there was an active gang and about 15 or 16, Orlando joins the gang. Uh, Orlando looks like a gang member. I mean, Orlando was like the head of the gang. He was the real deal. I mean, he wasn't, I don't know if they're really fake gang members. It's not my culture, but this guy, you still look at him today, he's just a tough guy, you know. And, and, uh, and, and Orlando got involved in the gangs. I mean, Orlando was, I mean, he did, I can't even tell you all the stuff he did because he spent time in jail. Uh, he was rough, tough, but then um, about the mid, about 23, 24, just said, I can't do this. Emerged from the hospital, just said, I can't live this way, and came to our church, Pastor Dave, witnessed to him, and the only church he ever knew back when he was a kid, 
and led him to the Lord, married he and his, his girlfriend, uh, Rebecca, and they got married. Let me tell you about another lady that began to come to our church. Her name was Tiffany. Uh, I didn't know this, um, but, but Tiffany was also a gang member. And, and what was happening that day, Pastor Dave knew all this. He was a real private guy. He wouldn't tell this story. We told it later with permission, but Tiffany and Orlando were in rival gangs. And Tiffany's son was getting baptized, and Orlando's son was getting baptized. Now, we had four services, and this was good for Tiffany and Orlando because they had had history. I didn't know this to this day I baptized these two boys. Orlando, still in the gang, um, had spent time in the hospital, was shot two or three times, almost died, got out, and I guess when you, what you do when, when that happens, you've got to get back at the other gang. And he's somewhere in Visaya, and he spots Tiffany, and she was in the other gang, and he knew it. He went after her. He beat her almost to death. He sent her to the hospital, almost killed her. And so, and of course, this was several years, three, four years after all this happened. Both of them got up, they didn't know, didn't even really know that each other went to the same church until that day or so. And Orlando was scared because he knew that he couldn't be around Tiffany. Uh, he knew that he couldn't really, you know, be around her at all uh, because of his record, and he didn't know, and he was freaking out. And Tiffany also knew what was happening. But now they're going to the same church. They've both been saved, you know, for maybe, or Tiffany maybe just for six months or so, Orlando for three or four years then. And Dave and I are talking about this, and I'll never forget this. We're talking about this, and, and uh, Tiffany knocks on the glass door of our offices there. And we know it's Tiffany. We're like, well, she's here now. What's, what's happening? She came in, and, and she realized what had happened. Orlando had already talked to Pastor Dave. What am I going to do? And Pastor Dave said, well, we'll work this out. We want you to keep coming. And here's what Tiffany said. She came in, and she was, there was Pastor Dave. And they, Pastor Dave was more their pastor than I was, but, of course, I baptized her child, so I was there. And she said, she said I saw Orlando. I knew that was his little boy after my little boy got baptized. And she said, and I forget this. She said, tell Orlando that I forgive him. And you know, I'm thinking, okay, this is the best day of my life in ministry. Such love, such wondrous love that would save a sinner such as you and I. And if we lead with love, and if we pastor with love, and if we preach with love, and we know this love isn't wimpy, we, we know this is a powerful, non-timid love, but if we do that, I believe we'll have healthy churches. And we encourage people to be, to be you know, baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be sanctified holy, and, and let God's love course through them. And, and let me just say tonight, and I've learned this over the decades of, of a life that really didn't honor God growing up and in my early adult years, Love does cover a multitude of sins. And as you travel along your way in ministry and pastoring churches or whatever God calls you to do, every once in a while the enemy will tap you on the shoulder and remind you of what you were, you know. And you just have to remind the enemy at that point, I am now under the lordship of Jesus Christ's love. He does forgive me. He does give me the authority to preach and to teach and to lead in the powerful expression of Jesus Christ's love. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you, God, tonight for my friends here this evening, God, that we are partners in ministry, Lord. And I, 
I just pray that this scripture would be an encouragement to, to one of them, God. Whatever they're dealing with, Lord. And, and I know the preparation time, Lord, could be tough um, as we prepare for ministry. But yet, God, remind them of why you called them. It's because of your love. And remind them of, of why you're calling them to preach. It's because of your love. And remind them, God, that we are called um, to be examples of your love. So, God, tonight, if there's even one here that maybe is thinking about their past life and, and, and are they disqualified or, or the enemy reminds them all the time, remind, Lord, let us remind the enemy that we are not what we used to be, that we are forgiven by your grace and your love, and we are most powerful when we work in the realm of your Holy Spirit's power and love. And we thank you tonight for, for who you are and how you're helping us in every way in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I know, um, I think the Gideon guys are here. Are you going to talk about them? Okay. Let's, think, let's all stand as we're dismissed. Thank you, Pastor Sean, for reminding the Lord. Amen. Praise God. We have friends from Gideon's International. Um, they're here to give you some gifts. If you want to take a Bible with you, you want to take several Bibles with you, you're welcome to stop by on your way out. Amen. Go in his peace.